Hey filmy people, this is usually the intro where I'll tell you a little synopsis about what you're about to listen to and maybe sometimes we'll be talking about a sponsor of the episode. Well, it didn't feel right to put a sponsor at the front of this episode because we got some great news. Moments before we were due to record, my wingman, my co-host, my, my Chewbacca, my Samwise Ganji, my Gromit short round goose, John Descamento, uh, he had to drop off because him and his wife Jamie had to go to the hospital because something's afoot, as the man would put it, life uh, uh, finds a way. And John and his lovely wife Jamie have welcomed a baby into the world. So if you're listening to this, my boy, congratulations. If you're listening, Jamie, good on you. Great stuff. Uh, But the pod continues and I'm joined by a very, very special guest co-host. I will just leave it at that. Anyway, on with the pod. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello and welcome to Talk Filmy to Me, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. I've got to say, first and foremost, thank you so much to everyone who has been tweeting, sending me lots of messages. We have been out for the last six or so weeks because unfortunately I had COVID, but I am feeling a lot better. Uh, This is a serious matter. If you've got symptoms, get checked. If you think that you might be in contact with someone who has symptoms, then do them a favour and your loved ones a favour and make sure that you're self-isolating and doing the advice needed. Um, I'm I'm back, uh, but more importantly, I've got a guest with me this week. Now, some of you might remember if we go back about 130 episodes before the interviews, before the the film screenings, before everything else, it was just me and Deska, and we asked our mates to join the first guest of Talk Filming to Me. He has come back, AJ Grand Scrutton, aka Denost. How you doing, pal? I'm good, thank you, dude. How are you doing? Ah, oh, mate, I am so happy to be back on this. Now, usually you'd hear my, my wingman, Deska, but he has had to go away with important measures. And I, hopefully by now, this when this comes out, he'll be there. So welcome to the world, little one. Deska is a daddy, uh, daddy Deska. Um, he is away at the moment, obviously, for being where he needs to be. But um, I'm, I'm feeling sterling, man. Um, it must be you, you, more importantly, for people who might not have been here since episode three. AJ is the, the owner, the... I don't know how else to describe, man. You're the, the owner, the founder, the di- creative director of a game company, and you've had a very busy month or so. What 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 dropped for you, man? Yeah, so it's definitely been very busy. So, yeah, on um, August 20th, we launched uh, Battletoads on Xbox One, Steam, um, and Windows 10. Man, and I've got to give you props. You have hit one million players recently. I saw the tweet about it. How does that feel? Because I can speak as someone who makes a media that obviously is consumed by hundreds of thousands of people. Bullshit. But how the fuck do you feel a million people have played your thing? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I don't think it's set in, really, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I think I'd set a million as our year one goal. Um, and we, I mean, I'm not even sure I'm allowed to say this. We actually hit it in six weeks. So obviously the message, <laughs> the message went out this this Monday because it's been out. The game's been out two months, obviously, as of this month. So we, you know, it says over a million. But yeah, we basically we hit a million around six weeks in. Um, oh my god! Yeah, it's um, it, it's pretty insane, really. I mean, we've always we traditionally measured our games player count by football stadiums. So you know, with Janksy, we were like, oh, we've. You know, we've hit Anfield, we've hit this. Um, <laughs> it's not really a million-person football stadium out there. Yeah, and and I suppose in COVID, it's kind of a, it, it doesn't sound as impressive, but <laughs> but I mean, man, that is 
what an achievement and a million people have touched and played and died on your 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 creation man and I, i'm not just saying that because we're like we, we go way back but like i've had a little dabble in it this is genuinely fun stuff man i get such a vibe of the saturday morning cartoon stuff obviously there's some inspiration from loads of stuff that we all grew up watching and i have seen a lot of reviews give this the props it deserves and i know in the field of reviewing stuff that you've got to take the rough of the smooth, but there is a lot of smooth right now. You've got to be, you've got to be smiling a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you know, I've always said, you know, if we, what I've told the team for the last two years while we've been making this game is like, if we don't make something people hate, then no one's going to love it. Right. You know, that, that yeah. is, it's not a spectrum. It's two, it's a very, very thin line between, you know, the two things. Um, whether I could have predicted that we'd have a game that one person gives a hundred percent on Metacritic and one gives forty, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been it's been fantastic. The rece- the response to it has been brilliant. You know, um, the player engagement, just you know, the the pictures and stuff we're seeing, the families playing together. Um, you know, it's a lot of stuff we didn't anticipate. You know, you don't you get you, you always hope that a lot of people are going to play it and a lot of people are going to love it um you don't really you know especially for a studio of our size you don't really ever anticipate you know a million people playing it and families getting together and loving it and enjoying it so it's yeah it's, it's been incredible to be honest nah awesome man awesome maybe if you want i know a guy we can go find that metacritic score go kevin smith style <laughs> like the end of that james <laughs> movie and beat the shit out of him no of course not <laughs> Uh, man, so look, that's the that's the official AJ stuff over with, man. What you've been watching when you're not making games that a million people are playing? What's like the last thing you've been watching? What's the last pop culture you consumed? Um, so what what have we been watching? Um, well, so we went back to you know uh, Orange is the New Black TV show. Why? So we nice. We stopped that on season. We stopped it on season four. So we just picked up from where we left off. Um, so it's on, ending soon, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so it's over. I think it's done now. So we're on the penultimate season at the moment. I think we're on season six, and they did seven. Um, we did all of Haunting a Blind Manor in one night. Oh uh, my god! What do you, you think? I enjoyed it. I didn't. I didn't like it quite as much as the you know the Haunting of Hill House. Um, yeah, agreed. And I got very very confused. I didn't realise they were doing the whole you know different story, same cast members, and I was thinking this. How are these characters? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, you know the 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 old lady at the start who's like, it's been eighty five years. No, of course, not. Um, she's married to Mickey Flanagan, the director who also managed her in obviously Haunting of Hill House, but also he's made he's done a Stephen King adaptation of oh god, what is it? Um, Gerald's Game, and she's in that as well. And like, I everything Mickey Flanagan does, Mickey Mikey Flanagan does, I and I adore. Like, he's an amazing director, and even he's Stephen King's um, Shining sequel. I know that had its critics, but that that was fantastic as well. Uh, but yeah, Blind Manor. I'm I'm only about halfway through. The accents of the kids are doing me in. <laughs> Do they get any better? Um, no, 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 it doesn't. Oh God, it's like a zombie Mary Poppins of just that's an absolutely splendid lake. It's, oh, oh it, it, it does be it, man. Uh, well, I've been I've been watching on Apple TV, um, trying to get into that a little bit more. I'm not a big fan of it to be honest, but there is one saving grace to it, which is the Ravens Banquet TV show. I am a massive fan of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and the fact that Rob McElroy and um, Ryan Reynolds might be buying a football team just makes me want to support that football team. But um, the TV show Ravens Banquet is just so so good. Um, there's a, a, this is becoming more of a common thing in TV shows where. 
they will just take you off on a different path for an entire episode. And about halfway through, there's an episode where it basically sums up the love story of a game studio about a couple that meet by chance and then they end up forming a game studio together and it becomes just a self-contained one-hour thing. I think it's an hour. I can't remember. It felt like an hour in a good way. And it is some of the most beautiful storytelling I think I have seen in the last two or three years. It is absolutely incredible. And this is meant to be just like a you know a, a comedy show about a game studio, but the, that episode I think is absolutely beautiful. Have you had, have you had a chance to watch that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've binged that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I binged that. Uh, I guess not far from when it first came out. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought that episode you're talking about was fantastic. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a dramatization, but there's some moments in it that made me laugh because you know people would say something, and I'm like, well, yeah, like I've, I've been in this conversation. Um, <laughs> so it is nice. Like there is like a lot of accuracy in it as well. Like even though it is obviously a super over the top as you'd expect from those guys, like it is, there is still a lot in there that like as a game developer, like hit home hard. Um, yeah, 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 I can imagine. I love the fact that it's, I mean, uh, yeah, the talent in that show is absolutely unbelievable, but I can't help but un- I can't unsee Arbed, right? Like, so I know Danny Pugh is an amazing actor and he's been in some cracking stuff. And he's just like, he's that that dynamic between the necessary evil of the monetization guy. Um, I see a little bit of that in my own walk of life of work, but yeah, I can imagine for you, it must literally be like, oh, this is a, like you say, a bit of a dramatization, but still enjoyable yeah definitely yeah you know i, I think I, you know I'd, I'd recommend it to any of my game dev friends um you know and then you know there's, there's been a few really good shows like that i think as well like um a friend of mine wrote a show for channel four that did a season called loaded and that was another one that was about a game studio that got purchased and yeah it, it, it's good because um you know we are an industry just full of nerds but i think the thing is is I think it's a little bit unbelievable what happens behind closed doors in our industry. So I think it's quite nice to see some of that getting out in the open, even if it is. Why, why don't you uh, spill the tea, AJ? And uh, <laughs> I can be like, Battletoads director, yeah. com. No, of course not. We'll save that off mic. But anyway, should we should we crack on some news? News. Nice. So when you were last on, AJ, 127 episodes ago, we talked a little bit about video game adaptations and about little stuff that we like to see and all that sort of stuff. Well, Netflix, Jesus Christ, they've been on it. They've uh, decided to... To do a, they announced this yesterday randomly over Twitter. They're doing a partnership with Ubisoft, as the French would pronounce that, to do a deal specifically around the Assassin's Creed franchise. Now, I'm really stoked for this, to be honest. I absolutely love The Witcher. I think Netflix understands to let creators now do their thing. Um, although, funnily enough, um, they seem to be in the habit of cancelling shows left, right and centre. There used to be a joke that you'd always have a season on Netflix, but... The, the likes of Orange is the New Black having like seven or so seasons has become kind of a thing of the past. So let's hope that, you know, they actually make some stuff that's going to stick. But Assassin's Creed is some amazing IP and the movie for its faults, it had some great elements to it. I love Michael Fassbender. I thought that was pretty cool. AJ, man, with Assassin's Creed, where where are you at? Is that something you, you love or have you not really had a chance to dive in? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for me. Um, I really enjoyed the first one. Um, and you know, I tried the second and the third, but I spun out quick, pretty quickly. Uh, and and to be fair, that's not a you know, that's not criticism of the game. It's more that like back then, I wasn't particularly into the big open world games. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'd be tempted to go back now. I think I'd enjoy them. But what I did love about the first one is the story. Like I think yeah. it was fantastic. Um, you know, the whole the dual worlds thing, the way they do that, very very well. So I think if they can really nail that. Um, I think we could have something awesome here as long as it doesn't let like 
what I wouldn't want to see is if it just lent into like, oh, we're just going to do it. You know, this season's just going to be in in this time period, and they're not going to touch on the the stuff ha- happening outside of that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things that... So, I agree with you. First game's brilliant. I actually really enjoyed the second one because I thought the protagonist, Ezio, was just just pure charismatic charm and, and, and everything else. But it kind of lost its way. Although, saying that, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is one of the best open world games I think I've ever played. It is stunning. I've It is very rare that I have the opportunity to sink more than 10 hours into a game. But I think I must have sunk like 150 into, into Odyssey. And... For its faults, it doesn't go into that modern world thing. I think that if they can, like you say, tap into that whole element of we're going to travel back in time, we've got Netflix money, we're looking for that kind of sprawling, epic battle scenes a la Game of Thrones, but it's still got the cool sci-fi nerdy elements of this is why we're able to travel back in time and stuff. I also think it's really important that people get involved in front and behind the camera, right? So although I really hate it when someone acquires an IP and they just use the name and they don't really drive home what made it great. I'm hoping that because they Netflix used a similar approach with The Witcher of we're going to let the creatives really drive home in this. And even like the cast were absolute dead fans of the game. You listen to Henry Cavill in any interview, he talks of his love of video games, but specifically that franchise that I hope they do the same thing with this. Uh, but it's not just a, a TV show. There's going to be an animated movie. There's going to be a bunch of other stuff in the works as well. It looks like, though, they've completely abandoned the Michael Fassbender movie, uh, which, yeah, to be fair, is probably for the best. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I enjoyed that movie. I mean, <laughs> the leap of faith moment was one of the worst things to ever happen in the history of cinema. <laughs> so, um, you know... There's there's shoehorning a game mechanic into a film, and then there's a literally a guy go literally a guy jumping off while somebody goes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, and actually that ties quite nicely into the next bit of news, which is Netflix are still on that video game adaptation train. They have announced that a bunch of Resident Evil stuff is coming their way now. Regular listeners will know I have feelings about the movies. Um, some some of it's great, some of it's fucking terrible. And good to know is that uh, although Constantine Films is involved in this project, uh, Paul Anderson is not. So that means we've got half a chance of it being decent. Uh, they've announced their cast, and I'm not going to go through all of the names, but there are some names that you sit there and go, hmm, that's got my attention. But I can't help but feel it's a little bit TV budget cast when you've got people like Robbie Amell and stuff like that in it. But hey, let's give some benefit of the doubt. So the idea of this is that Netflix are going to be making a Resident Evil reboot movie. They're also going to be making a TV show. The TV show is loosely connected. The TV show is going to be set years after, and stick with me for a second, the original Resident Evil games were set during an event that happened in 1998, and that is what this movie is going to be based on. So look, if they can get the right people involved, again, that Netflix production, that Netflix money, get the people from fucking Hill Manor to be involved. They can do a narrative intertwining storyline with time really well dude i know you're not as big as resident evil fan as me but are you uh what's your thoughts on this yeah i mean i i'm looking forward to it you know i love you know i really loved one two and nemesis um a lot 
So kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Also, like, I love the Amels. So, like, you know, if you put Robbie or Stephen Amell in something, I will I'd definitely watch No, but, but Robbie's basically become the, the shirtless guy, isn't he? He's just, uh, oh, let's just, just get, him, get his shirt off. He's been doing loads of stuff with Netflix. There's been those babysitter movies and stuff, and maybe I've not given him a fair crack of the whip. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just looked at that and went, oh, why is he, Chris? But it's got to be better than the dude from Prison Break uh, that they put in the movies because, don't wrong, he's a great actor, but it just wasn't right casting. And to speak about just taking names from a franchise and sticking it in. Paul Anderson's script was essentially, oh, I'm just going to stick in this virus from a game in later down iterations and just cast someone and call them Leon and not give them any backstory. Like, I'm obviously, I'm a little bit sore about this subject, but um, hopefully, yeah, we can get something good. But uh, on the same train with the Capcom movies that are coming in. So this dropped while I was out, but Monster Hunter uh, dropped their trailer. This is done by Mr. Anderson and his wife. And um, when he announced this was coming out, he turned around and said, a lot of people were really disappointed to hear that I put purchased the IP rights to make this. And I was like, yeah, the reason why they were disappointed probably isn't the reason you're thinking. It's probably because you're making it. But anyway, I'm trying to you know, glass half full and everything else. This doesn't look like they've just taken an IP and gone, we're not on Kansas anymore and just stuck monsters in it. Looks like they're really caring. Maybe. Um, anyway, dude, Monster Hunter. I don't really play these games, so I don't really know them at all. But is Monster World something you've looked at or played in? Or Monster Hunter, I should say. Um, yeah, I've played a little bit. Um, I've got it. It's one of those as well. You know, it it, it really dropped during um, the busy bit on Battletoads. Oh, excuse me. Hugo. <laughs> um, it dropped He's got strong feelings on Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah. Oi, shush pup. Um, you know, it dropped during the really busy bit on Battletoads, and that kind of meant that I didn't really get a chance to sink real time into it. And it's a it's a franchise you have to sink the time into. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, it's got a very very impassioned fan base. Uh, you know, a lot of people on my Twitter uh, are very very much into the fact that there's going to be a film. But it's you know, it's hard to not be worried every time a game IP becomes transmedia because it's not exactly got the best track record in the world for you know ip yeah with care yeah and that's that's the thing right like how many things that go you know what that's you play a video game and go that's fucking cinematic that's awesome and then someone comes along like uh, like the tomb raider reboot quite honestly that that was primed for the screen when you played the game you go that's incredible but for some reason i think it was ben whitley who directed it it just didn't didn't click for some reason. I think they're going to have another bite of the cherry and there's going to be a sequel, which is great. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit nervous. Um, but who's to say that if someone wrote a video game adaptation that was based on a amazing reboot of a franchise that really did tap into some nice nostalgia and some great comical beats, who says that couldn't not work? Hey, hey, hmm? what'd, you, what'd you say about that, AJ? Hmm? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm the first in line that loves a good reboot sequel. Um, whether whether those reboot sequels get made into something more than that reboot sequel, I think time time will tell. Um, uh, there we go. There it. Well, to, to to get you off of that spot, a sequel that never happened was Spy- Sam Raimi Spider Man Four. Uh, we turned around and said, "No, we we bid you good day, sir." Which is kind of a crying shame because we all love a bit of Sam Raimi. And although Spider Man Three had its faults, we never got to see Tobey Maguire coming back. Now, some interesting Spider Man stuff to talk about. Uh, Tom Holland, I forgot his name for a moment, uh, he landed down in Atlanta, I think, last night, and he caused a massive stir on social media because he then 
all of a sudden posted a lovely video of him saying Spider-Man 3 has started filming. Now, he must be a pretty busy boy at the moment. His dance card seems quite full because about a week ago as well, an image was shared by Sony Pictures of him as the guy from Uncharted. Is it Nathan Drake? I can't remember. Um, hashtag not Nathan Fillon for some reason. And uh, it, and it's just it's just weird seeing him in so much stuff. But Spider-Man 3 has started filming and there are rumours that Tobey Maguire is going to be reprising his Spider-Man as well as Andrew Garfield. Uh, reason being is the interconnecting tissue is that uh, Sam Raimi blew my mind, is going to be directing the Doctor Strange sequel, a.k.a. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is bringing in this whole concept of different parallel universes, all that stuff. Obviously, Marvel saw the success of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and interconnecting things and thought, wait a minute, why don't we get the little black book out and say, what the hell, what can we do here? Dude, this must have this blew my mind when I heard about this, man. Like We grew up in these movies and they're going to intertwine in an amazing way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's exactly like you said, right, that um, you look at what they did with Spider-Verse and, like, the bar has now been raised. Like, who would have thought that it would be an animated movie that actually sets the bar for what can be achieved with a cinematic universe franchise? Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that they've linked Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and they're saying, you know, they're going to do the whole multiverse thing and we're going to see the the three Spider-Men come together. And, like, I think that's brilliant. Like, I'd absolutely love to see that. Um, I love Tom Holland. Tom Holland's probably... My favourite cinematic Spider-Man. Not- oh, all right. Rate your rate your Spider-Man. Go. Well, okay. So Tom Holland, number one, the all package. Um, then I would put. You know what? I, Andrew Garfield, I think, was a better Spider-Man, but I think Tobey Maguire was a better Peter Parker. That's what I'm going to say. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I agree with you. I think Tom Holland's the total package. Like, there's something so earnest about the emotion he can bring. And let's face it, these Marvel movies are not necessarily written in a way that evokes the sort of emotions that someone like Tom Holland can still bring to the script, which is absolutely incredible. Also, bear in mind, he has been the character for five iterations now, and I still feel like we're just getting started and that's not a bad thing at all i agree andrew garfield was a great spider-man he just didn't have a great movie and toby Maguire, he's like the originator he's like kind of like how adam west to an extent right he he first of all introduced a lot of this as you can hear my daughter really loves talking about spider-man she's literally just run past screaming something or other uh, her favorite spider person is spider pig just for what it's worth understandable yeah, definitely. But um, I'm really excited about this, the idea of interconnecting these movies and maybe giving the send-offs that they didn't quite have. Speaking of which, it looks like Jamie Foxx is going to be reprising his role of Electro in this as well. And I don't think that was the Spider-Man bringing back homage that we wanted, but, I mean, still interesting, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I quite like Jamie Foxx in everything. Like, I think he's, you know, he does a really good cocky character. Um, yeah. And, you know, his take on Electro was... I had no problem with it. Um, obviously, there were, you know, the big thing was they were originally building to the Sinister Six in that iteration, right? Yeah. They're trying to get that going. Um, and I'm assuming if he's coming back, this is all kind of leading into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for him because if he is coming back, it's nowhere near as exciting a news as the fact that we could be getting the three of them crossing over in a multiverse, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's an arms race going on here and between. DC movies and Marvel movies, right? Because you've got this Spider-Man movie, which is really starting to build up with ex-cast members coming back. This was all the, the breadcrumbs were there from the, for the spoiler alert, the end credits stinger we got in Far From Home with uh, we've seen him coming back as well. But um, DC are doing their own thing, right? With Flashpoint right now, we've got uh, Tim, not Tim, sorry, we've got uh, Michael Keaton 
potentially coming back, Ben Affleck coming back, filming bits for God didn't even stick it in the news. Yeah, there's loads of news about the the Justice League Snyder Cut reshoots that are going on right now, people like Jared Letter and stuff like that coming back. So it's almost like a cinema ain't waiting to tell you a story in 20 movies anymore. They're going, fuck it. We need to get you back in the cinema right now. And if that means we have to get everyone you know and love back into one film, we're gonna do it, god damn it. And I for one cannot wait. Like uh, this is a great time still to, to be this. We just gotta wait a little bit longer until they come back um so one of the things which is coming down the pike uh, what's your take on the creed movies by the way have you ever seen them i've not seen the second one i really enjoyed the first one um for my money creed 2 if you made a list of the rocky saga creed 2 would be probably top three it is so good it's like a spiritual sequel to rocky 4 whilst at the same time being a creed movie like being it's it's that that swagger that that amazing style and, and storytelling ability combined with all the member berries you got from Rocky IV. Um, obviously, Ryan Coogler is very busy thinking about how they're going to deal with Black Panther 2. And also, the person who directed the previous Creed movie has stepped away. And Sylvester Stallone, I don't think, is going to be involved in this one. So this will be the first Rocky uh, next step or next step Rocky verse without um, the originators involved. But it looks like Michael B. Jordan is going to step up and potentially direct Creed 3, which I'm... I can't wait to see the guy in more stuff. I absolutely love Michael B. Jordan. Everything he's in, even that shitty Fantastic Four movie, he's still quite good in that. Like, the dude's fucking incredible. So I, I I, can't wait for this. The soundtrack, by the way, for Creed 2 as well, like Spotify, actually, it is dope as. But, um, but yeah, Creed 3 being directed by Michael B. Jordan. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, well, I think it's great. I really like it, you know, seeing TV a lot, right, where stars have played established characters for a certain period of time and then they step into the director's chair. And I think... You know, it doesn't mean he'll be a good director, but what he does bring is a knowledge of the character with him. So kind of feel kind of confident that he knows how to move and how to push that character around. I think where it becomes kind of the the challenge for him is can he transfer that same knowledge into directing the other characters and the other actors in that? Mm. um, Yeah, very true. Well, translating something they loved before and taking it into something new leads quite nicely into a piece of streaming news, which is uh, Roald Dolls The Witches uh, was supposed to be coming out in cinema next week in the UK, but they bit the bullets. They decided it's going to be available on streaming instead, and it has dropped, uh, I think, yesterday in the UK, and it's available in the States from the weekends. This is a Robert Zemeckis movie. Yes, that is right. A massive Robert Zemeckis blockbuster is going direct to streaming as a result of COVID. Now, Traders and stuff make it look interesting, but I've got to be honest, I'm going to spend more time talking about the original. Did you ever see that original movie? Yeah, it's terrifying. Oh, man, it's the most scariest fucking thing in the world. I mean, I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, forgive, forgive me, but the woman who played the head witch, who was also Morticia Adams in Adams Family. Them. Just- there we go, man. That, that big old sexy brain just pulls <laughs> it out. I love it. Um, it. That was so terrifying. And one of the things that's put me off a little bit about this interpretation is that... It looks like they've gone down more of a CG route. And it's like one of the things that that original 90s movie had was the use of prosthetics so well. And that's a bit of a shame. But I think this is going to do gangbusters on stream. I really do. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the world we live in, right? Both from a pandemic perspective, like, you know, the cinema is is not what it needs to be. Um, But also, like, if these companies have been able to secure these deals, right, and these you know, these streaming platforms are becoming film studios and like this is this is probably the reality we're going to be seeing coming out in the pandemic. So I think yeah. 
you know, I think it's it's interesting. Like I, you know, for me, I love film. So being able to have this stuff to home is great. I, I'm not overjoyed at the fact, you know, we're going to see the dying of cinema because of it. But at the same time, like, you know, as consumers, it's nice for us to know we're still going to be getting new entertainment. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that, which is kind of feels like, you know, people listening to me go, how the fuck can you be for that, Flint? Isn't you know, your podcast predicated on the ability for people to go to the cinemas? But the truth is, it's a consumer market and uh, safety is the most important. And since the pandemic, uh, every review we do on Talk Film to Me has always been a, we are not telling you to go to the cinema. We are not telling you to potentially risk or expose yourself to something you are not comfortable doing. What we are going to tell you is what we think about this from a consumer's perspective. And if that consumer experience means that you're seeing it on a smaller screen, then you're seeing it on a smaller screen. Like that's just, that's the reality of the situation. If you do care, if you do think that there are people that are dependent on this and need support from this, then make sure you do your bit. Do your thing like supporting companies like Film Stories, like an independent magazine that's giving up and coming right as their first paid gigs. Why don't you buy a subscription to that? Or why don't you buy a gift certificate at your local cinema so you can help them tick over? Doesn't mean you have to go sh- shout abuse at MGM Studios because they didn't want to lose 500 million quid. So it's a, it's a difficult situation, that stuff. But uh, speaking about difficult situations and things that dropped, a film that was going to come in cinema but then got snapped up by Netflix was actually Chad Chad Bozeman's last film. Uh, It's going to be called uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. uh, That was a very British way of saying it, wasn't it? Uh, But it looks absolutely incredible. This trailer is howling. It's got Viola Davis in it looking absolutely incredible. The music sounds pulsating. It's one of those movies where, look, the talent is off the chart already, but obviously now it's got that additional lens to it of this is the great man last performance and this is such a interesting topic uh, aj have you seen the trailer man what's your your thoughts on this no no i haven't seen the trailer like no, I, know, man. No, I know the film exists um and obviously i love chadwick bosman and everything and viola davis absolutely just kills everything she's in like in a good way yeah yeah um so yeah so like yeah and obviously from the name you can tell what it's about so i, <laughs> I haven't um I haven't seen the trailer yet. Um, it's about, it's just, yeah, there's there's a certain swagger to the sound. It's incredible. It's going to be dropping on Netflix. It is so, so good. And like you say, the Viva Dalis is just her ability to like take over the screen and command without really doing much. Like if you've seen her in a film like, like Widows, she's absolutely encapsulating that. Even in the stuff where you wouldn't expect someone to necessarily bring their A game, i.e. her stuff in like the Suicide Squad and stuff like that, she still brings a certain level of classiness to this. And I think she does her own singing in this as well. And her voice is like honey. She is fucking talented. Uh, Not to mention, obviously, you get to see Chadwick's last moments. I think that's got Oscar written all over it. And not just for obvious reasons. I actually think the, the talent in it looks like it speaks to that as well. Um, to wrap off news, and we're talking a bit about streaming stuff, uh, Tim Burton's going to be making a live-action version of The Addams Family. Now, you might say, wait a minute, didn't he make those movies? He didn't make those movies. It, 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 that's, that's, that's not a Tim Burton joint. I know it's the most Tim Burtonist joint you can imagine, an Addams Family movie. I mean, they were great. I mean, I've got to be honest, they, they awoken certain feelings in me with Christina Ritchie. <laughs> and uh, I think, like, you know how like our parents look back on Star Wars and say, yeah, yeah, my first crush was Princess Leia. I think for a lot of people, their first crush was Wednesday Adams. Anyway, uh, childhood aside, and Tim Burton's going to be making this into a live-action TV show. Dude, what's your your take? What's your your feelings on this? I mean, it's his aesthetic completely, right? Like, you yeah. Know, yeah. Um, I mean, he, you know, what he does, he does very, very well. Um, so I think he'll absolutely nail this. But like you said, like you look at those Adams Family films, um, and they were awesome, but they were like Tim Burton light. Um, so I think. 
you know, the one thing he brings that those didn't necessarily have is, you know, he goes pretty heavy on the dark. Like he pushes the boundaries of what's achievable within his, his, his ratings board rating. So I think what will be interesting for me is like, what are they aiming for? Are they going for, you know, they've just had those kids movies. Are they still trying to keep that audience? Are they going to push it to kind of like... Yeah, that's a good point. And I've got to say, that cast of that animated movie they done last year, like that as a live action cast would have been brilliant. Sharice Ferron as Morticia. Um, Oscar Isaacs as... Uh, um, oh, Gomez. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it would have been brilliant. Like, just take that cast and make that as a live action movie. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Now, this uh, doesn't have a home yet. Uh, it is being touted out to tender in terms of trying to find a streamer. Do you think there's someone's going to, there's some technology company out there right now at Silicon Valley going, oh, we'll make Tinder for, for TV shows that need to find, a, find an app? Look, Tim Burton is not going to have any trouble landing a streamer for this. This will be on Netflix, I guarantee you, uh, by Halloween next year. Um, you know, it's fascinating to look at. Look at, because um, I do this in my spare time because I'm a boring bastard, but if you look at colour photos of the original Adams Family show being made, now because that was, for all intents and purposes, it was originally made in black and white and they wanted to continue the aesthetic. So black and white don't look black and white when you're using a camera if you put it into a black and white mode. So you paint stuff different colours to give you different shades. And it was just batshit crazy colour when they're actually making that original TV show. It's really, really interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my nerdy fact for you there. You that stuff. But, uh, but anyway, that is your news for this week. 14 years ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! I am not going to do it. I promise you I am not going to do it. You will not hear a terrible Borat impression from me. But what I will say is that movie 14 years ago was a cultural milestone for a lot of reasons, some good, some bad. And I don't think, I think we talked about this about oh, about two months ago when there was rumours that there was a movie that not only has been made, but it's going to be distributed just in time for the election. Me and Desk have spent ages talking about in 2020, can you make a movie of that sort of humouring? Can you still make something relevant? at the same time be satire and you know let's face it not offend people to the extent that they're boycotting the movie we didn't know if that was possible well here we are Borat subsequent movie film now this film actually has multiple titles throughout the movie Uh, the premise of this movie is that Borat has been locked in prison for 14 years and for reasons he has been released and that he is to go and exchange a present to the American uh, vice president uh, in exchange for a monkey yes that is it so that is essentially the story Uh, He finds out he has a daughter along the way and decides that his daughter is going to be with him and be a gift for Michael Pence as well (laughs) uh, for Borat reasons. Um, But, uh, dude, where does Borat sit for you? Did you enjoy the original? So I love him. I love, like, Sacha Baron Cohen. Like, I love him. I think he's brilliant. I think he's in it. You know, all, all his stuff is silly, right, in a very clever way. But, like, what an incredible character actor. Like, just, like, I know it sounds stupid to say it, but, like, you see him in everything, even when he's doing a serious role as well, and he is just brilliant. Um, yeah. Now, the problem I have with most of his stuff is I can't stand watching anything cringy. Um, and he is the king of cringe, obviously, because all the situations he's in are very cringy and awkward. Um, so whilst I love him and love what he does, I struggled with the first four out, so I didn't actually bother watching the second one yet. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. Besides, obviously, the, the, the Rudy Giuliani clip that everyone on the internet... <laughs> um, 
Oh, what are you saying, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because through the uh, you probably shouldn't. I won't describe what I just done there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, this movie very much plays on those same sort of tropes. Now, some of this is set up; it's clearly fake. Some of this is real, and a lot of people are critiquing the how how real is this, or is this a bit racist, or a bit like xenophobic? The stuff he's doing. If you think those and i think you're probably listening to the wrong messages he's trying to portray of these characters actually the humor isn't borat the humor should come from the people he's investigating speaking to now one of the big challenges they had to face with this movie uh, which we talked about and we heard about this was borat when he was doing his thing back in 2006 wasn't necessarily a global icon now for better or worse, Borat is very well known. So how are you going to be able to make a fly-on-the-wall documentary-style movie interviewing people in American culture when half of America knows your name and the other half are doing shit uh, versions of you? Um, and they cover that by basically saying, Borat is very familiar now, so he has to go in disguise. So he goes as Borat in disguise, and it is hilarious. And this is, again, like you say, Sasha Baron Cohen's acting chops here on full display. And there are certain moments in this film which I was laughing out loud like I have never laughed before. I'm not going to give any spoilers away. There's literally one scene where he turns up to a Donald Trump rally dressed as a KKK member because it's because it's the hilarity that ensues of, of the reactions from that. Now, I'm not saying all of our Trump supporting listeners are members of the KKK. Of course not. But it was just absurd and hilarious the way it was portrayed in that. The relationship between him and his daughter is absolutely incredible. It's a... A, uh, a young actress, I can't see her name at the moment, but she is absolutely incredible. I'll tweet something to her IMD page later if you're interested. It, her acting ability is incredible because she's obviously brought on as a bit of a side gimmick, a bit of a bit of an act. But throughout the film, the relationship between her and her father gets gets meaningful. There's actually some bits to it. There's some bits that you generally laugh out loud, but at the same time, you feel a bit of like, hmm, it's got me in the feels there. They're actually they actually love each other and um it's it's i generally think it's one of the surprise packages of the year for two reasons one we all need a laugh right now especially right now uh, but secondly he's managed to pull it off he's managed to make a film that was relevant that is still relevant taking a character that we've all known uh, and bring a new lens to it through the lens of 2020 and there is nothing uh, there's nothing poignant more poignant than the timing of this even during production they stopped because of covid and of course Borat didn't stop because of COVID. He ended up shacking up with some people because of the virus and how he how he copes with that. So um, I'm going to go five out of five. A lot of people are going uh, to be quite shocked at that if they see it themselves, but they'll probably agree with me. We need a good laugh, and this is it for you. And also, as someone who's just gotten over COVID, I needed some good times, and that is definitely to be had here. So there you have it. Borat's subsequent movie film, five out of five. This makes That's the virus right. sleepy, and then when it's sleeping... The daddy has a lot to learn. My daddy is the smartest person in the whole flat world. <laughs> while the risk of coronavirus remains low, as the president said yesterday, we're ready for anything. Michael Penis, I brought the girl for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've liked what you're listening to, then please click on that like, follow, subscribe, whatever button it is that you get more content from talk filming to me. We'll be back next week where we'll be reviewing a bunch of other stuff. I can't think of the top of my head what the film is that Desk has been reviewing, but it's coming up and it's going to be incredible. So we'll just leave it at that. But I want to more importantly thank my dude, AJ. I know you're a very busy man. Congratulations on everything that's happened so far, but how can people find you? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So obviously, if you want to track Delala, please just go twitter.com slash Delala Studios, D L A L A Studios. Um, and for me directly, um, Dinos on Twitter, so Twitter slash D N O S T. Battle total life! Uh, anyway, stay- <laughs> till next time, stay filmy, keep wearing your mask, keep your distance. Goodbye. Yeah,